0: Welcome to Pilates Teacher's Manual, your guide to becoming a great Pilates teacher. I'm Olivia, and I'll be your host. Join the conversation on Instagram at Pilates Teacher's Manual. Today's chapter starts now. Hello, hello, everybody. I've got a fun crossover episode for you today on the history of Pilates. I'm definitely going to be framing this history from the teacher perspective for you. If you're interested in more history about Joe... I also recorded an episode over on Pilates Students Manual, so definitely give that episode a look. I'm also linking in the show notes a lot of the resources that I used and have informed this episode, things like interviews with Ken Endelman, who's the president of Balanced Body. He has some interviews on Pilates Anytime. There are some articles from Sports Illustrated in the early 60s that tell a little bit more about Joe and also... Also, there's obituaries in the New York Times. There's the trademark lawsuit for Pilates. I found that on Harvard Law website making me look way cooler than I am, but that's where it was. So there's a lot of deeper diving you can do if that's what you're interested in this is already a pretty deep dive. I'm not gonna lie. I was like, Oh my gosh, there is so much. And I remember I was in teacher training, we watched this really cute YouTube video, maybe the one you've seen, it's like little cartoons. And it's like Joe with like soldiers, and they're like working out using springs. And like a lot about Joe is a myth. We don't have all the information about Joe because he was born in 1883. And he didn't have a Facebook page. Like now I feel like I know more about myself, I can go back to like, what I was doing in 2009 with glaring accuracy and too much, like I know too much about myself, but we don't have all of that stuff necessarily. Ken Endelman did a lot of research in the 70s where he was looking into Joe's patents and he had to go to a physical patent office to search through bookshelves and filing cabinets to find the patents. Now you can just Google it, which is incredibly useful. And I did uh, in a lot of ways just Google it. As a teacher, I'm not sure if Pilates history is a requirement in teacher training, but you do know that Joseph Pilates was a person and that he was from Germany. You may have just guessed that because, like, the Wunda chair, you're like, ah, oh, yes, that sounds German. So he founded Pilates, but he's a little bit of a mystery. Like I said, it's difficult to substantiate reports. Like we do have elders who are living and they're able to share stories of him. And sometimes those stories can be corroborated. Sometimes there's news articles or press clippings or, you know, he wrote a letter to President Kennedy. Those documents like we have, there is a paper trail in that regard. But then in some ways there isn't like there isn't a marriage license for him and Clara. So what does that mean? I mean, it doesn't really change Pilates, but just like as a life note. Talking about Joseph Pilates as a teacher, you could tell that movement was really important to him, that movement allegedly, like myth speaking, like in a legend way, like allegedly- He was able to heal himself of his rickets and his asthma and his rheumatism by doing exercise and that he then became a bodybuilder and a circus performer and a boxer. Like there are clippings of him being in boxing fights. So he's obviously like very informed by movement and you can tell by his system as well that there's definite influence of rowing, of swimming, of yoga, that there are those overlaps in his exercises. And you can also tell from his exercises that he was really interested in the natural world and in movement. One of the articles from the 60s, I believe is titled Act Like an Animal, that he saw specifically cats, but like you also see crabs and seal standing cat, you know, all of these exercises have these animal origin. And it's said that while he was interned at the Isle of Man in World War I as a German national who was traveling with his circus troupe in England, he was interned during World War One, that he would watch the cats that were also like living in the camp, like catching mice, the way they get up and stretch after they'd been napping. And he wanted to develop a system that allowed human bodies to use all of their muscles the way that animals do. Like he's quoted as saying, you know, animals don't diet, animals don't exercise, they just live. And since the way we just live does not involve using all of our muscles, he'll create a system, and he did create a system, that does allow you to use all of your muscles kind of a fun teacher note that when he immigrated to the United States in the 1920s after he was released from the internment camp that the way he taught his system at his gym was not through a lot of verbal cues and what we're seeing in quarantine is like the utmost importance of verbal cueing that that's really what we're relying on but Joe didn't cue a lot with his words um, in one of those articles from the 60s his cue is like up up is not a super duper use cue when that's all you're saying but he was a very hands-on and tactile teacher and so he was giving those adjustments and I'm having flashes in my mind of the archived footage where he's like really pushing on people's heads and backs and chests and you know he would have people stand on his stomach while he did the hundred so I don't think that all tactile cues are great but there is really a history of that hands-on cueing and I think that's unique to Pilates in a lot of ways. Not all other forms of exercise really have that teacher-student relationship. Some do, but not all. It's also said that Clara, his wife, was a better teacher than he was and a little bit more compassionate of a teacher. Clara was a little bit nicer. Clara actually provided a little bit more instruction, and she really carried on teaching after he passed away in 1967. Joe wrote books, and I know that you definitely had to read Return to Life through Contrology, which, like, powerful, just in the title. And you can kind of see his short, sharp cues. And if you haven't checked out that book, or if you haven't read it in a really long time, like, since teacher training, it's worth kind of going through so you can see a little bit more of him, a little bit more into his brain because he's, like, making all of this up. Movement exists. Exercise exists. It's obviously informed by other forms of exercise, but that's, like, straight from the horse's mouth what he was hoping would be happening in the exercises and his ideas. You also get to see Joe with his tattoo and his little tidy whities which is awesome. Joe wrote a book before Return to Life through Contrology called Your Health, which he published in 1934. And that's another really cool window into his passion for people's well-being. It also has like really apocalyptic language where it's like the first chapter is like a grave situation and you're like, all right, Joe. But he was right in that the way that we move and breathe in our modern society in 1934 and also now We don't have a lifestyle that allows us to move our bodies in all the ways that our body likes to move, can move, should move. The letters that Joseph Pilates wrote to Kennedy were largely because he wanted Pilates to be taught in schools. And are we there? Is Pilates being taught in schools? I think in some schools... I don't know if there were Pilates classes when I was in college. I definitely didn't do Pilates in high school or elementary school. But it also existed because my mom definitely had a form of the pilates chair and there were like exercise tapes that went with it it was like a metal framed chair it was like very light and the resistance options weren't super great it wasn't nearly as durable as like an exo chair or wunda chair But, you know, it definitely existed. And I know that the Pilates DVDs or the Pilates VHSs, that it was happening and almost like counter to calisthenics and like the really like running, jumping around, high intensity, high impact cardio work that was really popular, especially in like the 80s. Pilates is almost the antithesis of that and that it's slow and controlled and super low impact. So coming up after the break, I'm going to talk a little bit more about Joe as a teacher. Hi there. I hope you're enjoying today's chapter so far. There's lots of awesome stuff coming up after the break as well. Please share this episode with your friends and followers and share the Pilates love. Now back to the show. Joe obviously had very strong ideas and was very passionate about his system as being the answer. And in a lot of ways, it was the answer to the way we didn't move to our sedentary lifestyle. He's writing Your Health in the early 30s. So the more things change, the more they stay the same. Like We can say that a lot of the aches and pains that people were having then were probably still having and we probably have chairs that are also like not supportive of us. Joe had lots of inventions. He had a bed. He had chairs that were designed to allow your spine to be long instead of what our chairs currently do, which makes your lumbar spine cranky, which is why we have like all these ergonomic chair stuff coming out because our chairs are really not designed to make our bodies feel good. I think the best thing that Joe did, well, two really good things that Joe did, is he wrote Return to Life through Contrology, which is a blueprint of his exercises, and that is really helpful, that you know why you're doing things and what you're doing. It's not just word of mouth that it's being passed down. He wrote it down for us, so I really appreciate that. And the other thing he did that is really wonderful is that through his teaching, which in my opinion is not like great teaching, like he didn't use all of the cues or all of like the teaching methodology that we all know that you want to like say the name of the exercise, explain the start position, explain, you know, to the midpoint, explain the ending point of the exercise, talking about what muscles are working. Like, he, that's not how he taught at all. English was a second language, so his cues were really hands on. Mary Bowen, who is one of the Pilates elders, is Quoted as saying something along the lines of, he didn't teach us, he sculpted us. That it was really about that connection. So I think the good thing that he did is, even though his teaching methods might leave a little bit to be desired, but he taught amazing teachers like Ron Fletcher, like Kathy Grant, like Eve Gentry, like Romana. He really empowered a generation of teachers who have been able to continue to pass the wisdom of the teachings down to us. And one of the reasons that I'm a contemporary Pilates teacher instead of a classical Pilates teacher is I think that Joe's system is amazing, but he didn't get everything right. And I think that new teaching styles, new pieces of equipment have really enhanced the goal and really enhanced the way that we get to it and also opened Pilates up to a lot more people. Things that like he didn't quite hit the nail on the head, things like the fact that your spine should be straight. Like a lot of his exercises he taught with a posterior tilt to your pelvis. You're tucking your tailbone under while you're doing these exercises. And I don't think that tucking your tailbone is inherently bad, but I don't think it's something that you need to do all the time. Like That's also an issue that I took with classical bar exercises from the point of view of functional movement, that we don't live in a posterior tilt. And actually posterior tilt inhibits a lot of movement and that neutral spine, I think, is where it should be. And that's kind of what science and like the evidence is showing is that neutral spine allows us the greatest mobility in our hips and really acts as a shock absorber for us. It doesn't mean that you can't do roll downs where you're in flexion. It doesn't mean that you can't do things where you're in extension. It just means that like I feel like is a go to like neutral is the way to go. And that's kind of the philosophy that I ascribe to myself at least. But I don't think that that negates the work that he's done. I've also moved away, like in my personal life as well, like I also practice Ashtanga yoga, and that's another thing like classical Pilates where you're doing the same exercises in the same order, that it's cued the same way because you're doing the same thing. But not everybody is going to be able to do classical mat. You know, if you have osteoporosis, if you are pregnant Pilates is amazing for you, and I think you should do it, but it needs to be a little bit different. It doesn't need to be the handed down prescription from Joe. And I think those additions to his system, whether it's like pieces of equipment like the springboard that allow the the tower or the Cadillac to exist without the reformer or Cadillac that you can do that spring-resisted arm work, leg work, but it's not Joe's piece of equipment. Like, I think that that's really been beneficial. Things like the jump board, I think, have offered new ways of doing Pilates that appeals to new people, and I think that anytime you can make something more accessible, or even things like the clinical reformer that's taller, that's wider, that allows more body types to access it, I think that all of those things are making Pilates better, not detracting from its essence at all. I know it can be a little bit of a contentious thing, but if you weren't aware, like I didn't come to Pilates until the 2010s, but there was a rift in the Pilates community between classical Pilates and Pilates, you know, as taught by Joe, That was, you know, trademarked or there was a trademark for Pilates and that if you weren't doing that, there were cease and desist letters going out saying you can't call what you're doing Pilates because only this Pilates method is like the authentic Pilates method. And I think that a lot can be said in terms of lineage. I know that Pilates teachers, not even classical Pilates teachers, will say, you know, I was trained by such and such teacher, such and such system, and trace it back to the elder to trace it back to Joe. Having that lineage is beautiful. I think that just this history is really incredible. And you can honor that by following teachers. But I don't believe that you're a good teacher just because you did that. Or that you're a bad teacher if you didn't do that or you weren't able to do that. I think that's really exclusive and I don't think we need to be exclusive in anything. I think we need to be supremely inclusive and more inclusive in the ways we teach, the people we teach, and how we teach so that those benefits of Pilates aren't lost. I think that that's a higher goal than necessarily like having this lineage And you could say that because I'm not an authorized Ashtanga teacher. Like I didn't follow the lineage of that yoga. I'm not a classically trained Pilates teacher. I don't have a lineage back to Joe except in like the loosest terms. And so you can say, well, of course, Olivia would say that. But I really do think that the more inclusive we can be, the better. So the result of that trademark lawsuit was that you can't trademark Pilates the same way you can't trademark the word yoga or the word running or the word hiking, that it is a generic exercise style. And we do know that there are principles to Pilates. Of course, it's not so generic that anything can be Pilates, but what Pilates means is a lot bigger than just the classical system of Pilates. I hope I'm not stepping on any toes. I do have utmost respect for Pilates teachers of all lineages, regardless of who trained you. I think that all teachers have a unique perspective to offer that is theirs, that even if they learned from Joe himself, that still the way you're going to teach it is different. And that's why I follow the hashtag on Instagram of Pilates teacher training, because I love seeing new teachers who are learning, who are coming to Pilates from from their own experience their own injuries their own you know previous movement experience and their own personality and i think there's just so much that you can offer just as you yourself being a teacher regardless of who trained you you are inherently unique and have something really special to share was that a pilates history episode i'm not entirely sure I was a little bit more contained in Pilates Students Manual. If you just want to follow the Pilates history, I highly recommend that you check out the episode that I just posted on Pilates Students Manual that has a little bit more of a flow and a timeline. But I think as a teacher, it's something that you want to think critically about. Like, what are you teaching? What history does it have? How has it helped people? Has it hurt people? It's bigger than just lie down on the reformer. We're doing footwork. So lots of love to everyone out there as your studios are reopening. Stay safe and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much for joining me for today's chapter of Pilates Teacher's Manual, your guide to becoming a great Pilates teacher. You love today's episode, subscribe and leave a review. You can reach out to me on Instagram at Pilates Teachers Manual or send me an email to Pilates Teachers Manual at OliviaBioni.com. The adventure continues. Until next time.